memes with the ladies getting drafted yes 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 oh my god they're so, so who funny. all going though watch, no the original video the comment section is lit I it is so it. good i was like so my uh, i love i love it it's so good <laughs> and my like i oh <laughs> so many words um my favorite ones that i've read so far are my mom won't let me go because there are boy there are gonna be boys there's there. gonna be boys and my my second favorite one is like I use my period to get out of gym. You think I'm not gonna use it to get out of the army? My other one was like, are we going cool or comfy look? Mm. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. So like, who's all gonna be there? Who's all gonna be? What's the parking situation <laughs> <Wait> like? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I feel like it's gonna be really crowded, so we should probably carpool. <laughs> oh my god, giving me life. <laughs> Everyone and welcome to the show. I'm Blair and I'm Kirsten and we are mediocre content and we are grossly in the month of November. <laughs> it is wild that we are <laughs> in the month of November. Um, thank you to everybody that tuned in last week for our 50th episode. We appreciate yes. you. It's so fun and. Yeah, we're rolling right along. And Jinx, you might hear smacking his head on Blair's mic because yes. he's always present. <laughs> he has been our little podcast slash stream buddy. Yes. Um, and he loves my microphone. He's yeah. a star. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's so he. <laughs> it's he's so just funny here, living his best life. I don't know what to tell you. I also love that you are fall vibes with your shirt today i love the pumpkins it's very cute um and it is still fall Uh, the weather is finally turning where we are and it's earlier than last year so i'm actually hoping we might have a real winter with a little bit of snow this year um very much looking forward we had a very wet and cold winter last year but like zero snow which was very disappointing um but it would be nice if it actually had like the leaves are finally changing early And it's so beautiful to drive through. Yeah. Um, little New England fall vibe. <laughs> That's so good. And Aww. if you're up in Salem, Massachusetts, you might be having some witchy fall vibes too. Ugh. So <laughs> obsessed. I had a dream last night that oh. I went to Salem, Massachusetts <gasps> and like investigated and looked around and nothing yeah. scary happened, but I just, I really <laughs> want to go there clearly. I saw a video just the other day because obviously um, at the time I was watching the video, it was pre-October. And of course, as expected, everybody wants to go to Salem in like October time. That's just the spooky right. vibes, right? Yeah. But um, this person was like, you know, this is the real look. Like the lines are so crowded. It's hard to get tours. It's hard mm-hmm. to feel like you're not just in a consumer paradise <laughs> sure, <laughs> at yeah. that time. So if you are going to go as weird as it might sound, maybe go later in the season or like right before, because if not, you're going to get caught up with every other Salem tourist there is in the world. <laughs> yes, that is true. Like most places. All the witches coming back to the homeland. <laughs> it's so true. Flock. They're flocking. <laughs> uh, I wonder what you would call a group of witches. What are they called? A coven. Oh, right. Thank you. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> What's that term again? <laughs> it's 
the coven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew there was one for it, but for some reason my brain said, oh, a flock of witches. That's, <laughs> yeah. You're thinking of birds. <laughs> oh, but, I mean, they fly. So <laughs> they do. You're right. Uh, anyway, we have a different kind of flying happening um, today in today's podcast. But before we do any of that, I say we disclaim and maybe talk about some good news. Sure. So obviously we are not experts on anything, even the majestic sea flap flaps. Um, <laughs> if you have come to the podcast to get any kind of advice, we are not the place to get that, but we are the place to learn about things that you may not already know about. And we encourage you to do your own research. And Kirsten is very passionate about the sea flap flaps. I so am. <laughs> you'll get a full good dose of Kirsten science corner in this episode. <laughs> not even doing the good news this week. <laughs> I... I'm going to take you into the good news. And our first good news is about pizza. Oh. And Jinx, if you would just move to the right. Thank you so much. <laughs> A little right. to the left. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so any readers in business school should take note of this perfect example of a company understanding their customer base. Domino's has a new oh. free pizza program for personal emergencies. What? What kind of emergencies? Domino's isn't referring to unintended hospital visits. Instead, try to imagine the last thing that made you decide to order pizza when you hadn't planned on doing so. Uh, that's so, golden. <laughs> for example, yeah. Um, perhaps you burned dinner or the power went out or maybe your in-laws just dropped by without notice without hey, that's telling you. You know, that is real. <laughs> Whatever your emergency situation, Domino's believes in free pizza and can make anything that can make anything better. Um, so they launched it because, you know, with the uncertainty in everyday life, you sometimes yeah. you just need pizza. It's true. And the way it works is you enroll in the Domino's royalty program and spend mm-hmm. $7.99 on pizza, and then you earn an emergency pizza. Oh. So you That's so easy. <laughs> you have to buy pizza to get the emergency pizza. Sure. However, I think it's really easy to spend $7.99 on pizza because yes. of how expensive pizza can be. Especially if you're getting a free one. Right. A- after so you do that. Yeah. Right. So you're earning an emergency pizza credit. You can and then um it says at the moment. Mm-hmm. thinks you're really making my life hard right now <laughs> he like really is back and forth <laughs> he's like where's my desk. free pizza <laughs> um all right the way it works is that customers enroll yep we talked about that at the moment the emergency pizza program is slated to run until february 11th oh. after after a 20 teens reputation for skeezy food domino's launched a brand revolution that has since catapulted it to the top of the food chain in american pizza brands they recently launched a new delivery program that allows people to get deliveries essentially anywhere within range of the store. I have to ask you a very personal question. Yes. Papa John's or Domino's? <sighs> Look, it's a debate, right? It is. And yeah. I like both. Yeah, I don't, that's the problem. Yeah, I like both. And for a while, I would tell you Papa John's Wow. Like Papa John's doesn't have stores everywhere like Domino's does. True. It's true. Domino's is not only more accessible, but also a solid pizza choice. Yeah, I agree. I like Papa John's. I would have, I also say that many moons ago, 
it would be Papa John's. But I do agree that previous to now, Papa John's felt more accessible. Yeah. 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 Because I was just thinking in our town, I, yeah, the Papa John's is on the other side of town. So the closest ones are like a local shop, which is Antonio's, which is also pretty good. Yeah. But if I just want some generic, like run of the mill, got to get my American pizza fix, I'm probably going to go to the Domino's. Yeah. I mean, we have Domino's here. I haven't seen a Papa John's, but I also haven't really been looking. Um, And then, but the big pizza chain out here is like Mountain Mike's Pizza. Ooh, and it's good. pretty good. It's like yeah. comparable to Domino's. I feel like you have to have the right balance for pizza because there is oh, yeah. bad pizza out there. Do not You're be so right. Do not be fooled. There is crappy pizza. You're so right. I agree. I love that. Good for Domino's. I w- I'm going to yeah. do that. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to freak. I have, I've been in their loyalty program, but I've never seen this. So maybe it's new, new. It might be new, new. I yeah. wonder if you can like cash in past purchases. Do you think? I don't know. Okay. I'm going to Should we do app. a live update? I'm going to do I read yeah. this story. Okay. Yeah, you do that. I'm going to log into my loyalty. <laughs> okay. So, uh this one is about and I thought about you specifically. This one is about <laughs> uh redheads or gingers, if you will. And uh for those who don't know because you've never seen Tyler, he is a ginger. He is. And Kirsten has a lot of gingers in her family. I really and, we, do. and I think we know a lot of gingers too. So, Yeah. This is very important. So a pair of scientists have found fragments of ginger pigment molecules in fossilized frogs, which they take to mean that most famous of genetic mutations has been around a long time. Hmm. University College Cork paleontologists discovered molecular molecular evidence of pheomelanin, the pigment that produces ginger coloration in the amphibians dating back to 10 million years. On a more serious note, the findings of their studies published in Nature Communications will enable scientists to better reconstruct the original colors of extinct organisms. The research was led by UCC's Dr. Tiffany Slater and Professor Maria McNamara, McNamara, Mm. who uh, collaborated with Swedish, Japanese, and Chinese scientists. Quote, this finding is so exciting because it puts paleontologists in a better place to detect different melanin pigments in many more fossils, says Dr. Slater. This will paint a more accurate picture of ancient animal color and will answer important questions about the evolution of colors in animals. Hmm. Scientists still don't know how or why the pheomelanin evolved, but it is toxic to animals. Um, But the fossil record might just unlock the mystery. The team performed a series of lab experiments on black ginger and white feathers to track how phenomelanin um, pigments degrade during the fossilization process, which backs up their interpretations of the fossil chemistry. Quote, this is a huge potential to explore the biochemical evolution of animals using the fossil record, says Dr. McNamara. Um, In humans, red hair is specifically mentioned in peoples as far back as ancient Greece, Over time, red hair has always been pointed out as a defining feature, particularly in Northern Europe and Central Asia. While thought to be typically Celtic, red hair is not uncommonly found in um, Kipchaks, Azeris, uh, Uyghurs, Kygers, and Mongolians, which I I'm going to go ahead and assume that those are like middle Asian tribes. 
Maybe. Yeah. Uh, in fact, yeah. in fact, some accounts put red hair and green eyes on the head of Genghis Khan himself. Oh, However, goodness. it's it's Ireland where the concentration of pheomelanin is highest in humans, where roughly ten percent of the population are gingers or redheaded. That's crazy. Also, yeah. it sounds like all of those are like Turkish. Oh, Turkish tribes. Okay. Um, yeah, Central and East Asia, Turkish, Turk, Turkic ethnic group. That made my mouth hurt. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's um, yeah, Turkic uh, ethnic groups. So yeah. That's super anyway, cool, developments in the ginger world. I feel like I can't escape them, and that's fine because I love it. And <laughs> yeah, and it's so cool. Love that. Um, also for the Domino's update, I can search Domino's emergency pizza, but when I actually like log in, I get zero options for it. So it might be for a new promotion for new members. It could be. Yeah. It also could be maybe my region doesn't do that. It might be regional or I don't have any points right now because it looks like the last time I used it, I was in Florida. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe I just don't have the backlog history of orders yet. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's new orders. Who knows? Uh, who knows? But give it a go. Um, why not? It's free pizza after all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Well, I guess we're gonna go swimming. Sea flap flaps. <laughs> I don't know if you're prepared for that, but we that's what we're doing. So our moose episode, which was another animal-related episode, obviously. Uh, We didn't really go deep into scientific classifications or why they're classified under certain things, uh, but I think it's important to do it here um, because the classification really defines what we're looking at and why they're classified that way and like why they're called what they're called. Um, And if you haven't guessed, it's stingrays. That's what we're talking about. I'm very passionate about them. I love them. It's one of my favorite animals in the entire world. And I freaking can't get enough of them. She loves them so much that when we were in Virginia Beach together one time, she got a henna tattoo of a stingray, but it was also a pancake. So the stingray had a little piece of butter on top. And it's perfect. And honestly, I have three stuffed animals of different kinds of stingrays as well. Um, and if you didn't know those exists, you obviously haven't been to Ripley's Aquarium and you've just been called out and you should 100% do that. Highly recommend the I experience. feel like most places or most aquariums have like a touch tank where there's little <sighs> um, so either stingrays or like skates, I think right. is what they're called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that distinction is very important. And another reason why we're going to talk about the classification. Uh, these fish have been in general on the planet since the jurassic days they're a very old lineage uh their kingdom is animalia for obvious reasons they're an animal uh their phylum is chordata their class is chondrichthys which is very important and we'll talk about it later as well they also have a subclass which i'm gonna butcher uh alice mobraki i believe i like it And then they have two distinct orders. And Blair, I have posted a picture in our little cheat sheet because I feel like visually this makes sense. Obviously, all of our links are always in our description. So I encourage you guys to look at the links that we have because the differences in these two orders have to do with visual pieces of what you're looking at on a stingray. 
So there is rajaforms and mylobatiforms. And depending on the type of stingray, the body shape and structure will distinguish which one they fall under. Among the differences we find between both orders, we highlight the myliobatiforms that have pelvic fins formed by a single lobe, while rajiforms are usually bilobulated, which is a mouthful, and bi just means two, so it looks like there's like two little indents on them instead of just one fully formed uh, pelvic lobe, or yeah, pelvic fins by a lobe. The tail of the mylobatiforms is usually relatively thin and elongated. It usually does have a spine in a dorsal position and positioned in the first third of the tail. Also, they generally lack a dorsal fin, and in species that do have one, it is usually unique and located closer to the base of the tail rather than at the end of it. And finally, uh, mylobatiforms lack spines on their midline of their tail, which is present in rajiforms. So, again, just visual differences. They're still considered stingrays. They're just in two different orders depending on those structural pieces. Got it. Their family name is also hard to say for me, uh, the Saturday, mm-hmm. um, so as you will. And then, of course, their common name is stingray or cartilaginous fish, and that just means the majority of their body is cartilage, yes. a characteristic that is also found in other animal creatures in the sea that we will talk about. So basic characteristics of a stingray, they are enlarged and flat pectoral fins continuously on the sides of their head, so you can't really say when it ends and when it begins. There's no caudal fin, eyes on the dorsal surface, so at the top of, like, on top of them. Right. And uh, their narrow, long, and whip-like tail, typically with one or more venomous spines. So it's not just that one barb necessarily, they can have multiple. The chondrichthys class is quite vast because sharks and skates, which are separate, are also uh-huh. under this class. Okay. And if you don't know a lot about skate, I hate to tell you this. I learned this a really long time ago and it really messed me up. So I'm going to impart it onto you. If any of you guys eat calamari, which is usually made of squid, mm-hmm. or one would assume it is made of squid, um sometimes squid can either be really expensive or hard to get in large quantities enough for the people who do eat them to be able to get them right and so what i learned horribly is that skate will sometimes be used because it has a similar texture a similar um cooking time you can't really tell the difference uh taste wise what the difference is um So unfortunately, uh, another animal is being marketed at this, but this also means that when you pay for calamari, you may actually be eating skate instead, but paying the same price. So I just want to put that out there. Wow. Um, I don't eat calamari. Um, I'm not really a huge seafood person, but even if I was, it just makes me feel really bad about it. So I wouldn't be eating that. (laughs) Fair. Uh, members of the chondrichthys are characterized by skeletons made of rubbery cartilage, like your ears, for example. They have cartilage in your ears. Uh, rather your than toes. 
real weirdos but the cartilage is structural kind of like your bones they're just made differently obviously in your body but they do provide structure and support for your body this is just what they're made out of and this is different obviously than bony fish because they're bony instead of cartilaginous thank you for clearing that up we appreciate that you're very welcome (laughs) (laughs) this class also has jaws pairs of fins paired nostrils scales and two chambered hearts and the two subclasses are recognized as alice ellis mobraki sharks rays and skates and hollow cephali chimera sometimes called ghost sharks so if you want to look that up feel free to do so i'm not doing that here <laughs> in stingrays as with all rays in the traditional order ragiforms the anterior edge of the pectoral fin which is greatly enlarged is attached to the head anterior to the gill openings they also have what's called ventral gill openings and the eyes and spiracles are on the dorsal surface so again on the top in addition they lack an anal fin and lack a nictitating membrane with the cornea attached directly to the skin around the eyes as opposed to being separate and members of this uh family the um disc which is just <laughs> the outer part of a stingray yeah is less than 1.3 times as broad as it is long they also lack that caudal fin and like we talked about they have a really long tail with the distance from the cloaca which is its reproductive system uh to the tip much longer than the breadth of the disc and if you don't know sizing and shapes that's fine it was hard for me to read and conceptualize as well just look at a picture <laughs> Uh, stingrays are common in tropical coastal waters throughout the world, and there are even freshwater species in Asia, Africa, Florida, for example. Uh, reports that there, oh, sorry, there are several reports that tropical species are known only from freshwater, and some marine species are found in brackish and freshwater on occasion. So it just kind of depends. They they live everywhere. Sure. Some adult rays may be no longer than a human palm, which is adorable. While other species, like the short-tailed stingray, may have a body of six feet in diameter, which is insane, (laughs) um, and an overall length, including their tail, of 14 feet, which is also pretty big. Stingrays can vary from gray, red, plain, patterned, spotted. There's lots to look at and lots of different shapes and sizes of their fins, their face, etc., um, and of course, the region they're called majestic sea flat flaps is some of the large pectoral fins can also be mistaken for, quote, wings. So they're kind of mm-hmm. gliding through the ocean. That's how they move. Um, unlike just a propeller as a tail for most bony fish, they're using their, quote, wings or pectoral fins. Manta rays are in this particular category, right? Yes, they are. Okay. Just making sure. We're going to talk about them. Oh, good. Because <laughs> I love they're them. Very- they're amazing and they're very oh, big. And the pictures that you see of like a diver next to one, insanity. I know. If you actually, let me retract for a moment. If you have that fear of like massive objects next to like human objects slash deep ocean there uh, issues, don't look yeah. that up. <laughs> I forget. I forget what that's called. But like people who are afraid of whales or something like that because oh. they're so much bigger than us. Yeah, it's uh, it's not great, <laughs> but we don't think about that. <laughs> no. What we are going to think about is a stingray's stinger, because that is another reason it's called a stingray. Most of them have a razor-sharp 
barb or serrated cartilaginous spine, which grows from the ray's whip-like tail, uh, similar to a fingernail. So you have a nail that grows from your finger. Yeah. Sim- a barb is similar to that on the tail of a stingray. And can grow as long as 37 centimeters, which is about 14-ish inches, which is really large um, for some. On the underside of the spine, there are two grooves containing venom-secreting glandular tissues, and the entire spine is covered with a thin layer of skin called the etagumenitary sheath, in which the venom is concentrated. I it, definitely botched it, but it's a lot. Integumentary sheath. Thank you. You're welcome. The venom contains the enzymes 5-nucleotidase and phosphodiesterase deterase which is a lot of in my mouth and these break down and kill cells so fun (laughs) there's also a neurotransmitter serotonin which provokes smooth muscle contractions so don't get poked by one this yeah r.i.p uh what is what is the are you why Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin. I knew it was Steve, but then I forgot the last name and I was like, oh no, it's not Steve Jobs. That's for sure. It is not (laughs) Steve Jobs. Nope. He was not the crocodile hunter. (laughs) No. Although it would be really funny if he was anyway. That would be like a, um, a satire. Oh yeah. Uh, But this venomous spine does give them their common name, of course, and the name can also be used to refer to any kind of poisonous ray with this type of characteristic. Uh, They can also be called whip tails, um, which is less common because they they have a long tail and it rips around. (laughs) That's what happens when you got common names. And then a group or a collection of stingrays is usually referred to as a fever, which is fun. Like most animals, stingrays got to be eaten. So the question is, what do they eat? It's a great question. Thanks for asking. So stingrays, <laughs> stingrays feed primarily on mollusks, mollusks, crustaceans, and occasionally small fish, depending on what type of ray it is and what access they have to certain foods. The flattened bodies of stingrays allow them to conceal themselves in the sand, which is great camouflage. Smell and electroreceptors are used to locate the prey, and that's similar to sharks. If you're unaware, they have a similar um, a similar characteristic for finding prey. And some stingrays' mouths contain two powerful shell-crushing plates, while some species only have sucking mouth parts where they can just pull it in, and that's about it. <laughs> just pull it in and eat it whole. Rays settle at the bottom, of course, then by feet while feeding and sometimes leave only their eyes and tail visible because they have to be able to see their prey probably as well. Probably a little helpful. And then coral reefs are favored, of course, because they're usually shared with sharks and um, other things during high tide. But that's also where the most um, amount of other aquatic animals will also be present in large quantities because it's a coral reef it's a habitat it's where they live and thrive right got it stingrays generally do not attack aggressively or even defend themselves in most cases so when threatened their primary reaction is to swim away which it makes sense (laughs) however when attacked by predators or stepped on so be careful uh their barb uh which is their stinger is whipped upwards, which is why they're called the whipping tail. 
And this attack is normally ineffective against their main predator, which is sharks. But if you step on one, it will be quite effective. (laughs) Yes, it will. The breaking of the stinger in defense is non-fatal. So if they happen to use it and it gets broken off, it can actually regrow similar to a lizard tail or something of that nature. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's kind of like a nail, like your fingernail just grows whenever. Depending on the size of the stingray, humans are sometimes stung on the foot, obviously. Surfers or those who enter waves with large populations have learned to slide their feet through the sand rather than stepping. Because if they're buried, if you put your foot under the stingray, their barb isn't there. That's their mouth. (laughs) So you just stuck your whole foot in their mouth, (laughs) which is very (laughs) rude. But also slippers, new slippers. <laughs> My ray slippers. <laughs> it's very rude, but it will protect you from getting stung. <laughs> Can you imagine you're just chilling on the bottom of the ocean and suddenly you're just, just a mouthful of somebody's foot? <laughs> just, oh my god! <laughs> so don't do that. All just you know what? Don't be stepping around where the rays are. They're just minding their business. That's right. Um, and of course, stamping hard on the bottom of the murky water will probably cause them to swim away if you don't step on them first. Right. Um, of course, if you're going to harass a stingray, they can be known to sting elsewhere. And some have led to fatalities due to stupidity. So don't be doing that either. Um, contact with the stinger does cause local trauma from the cut itself, of course, and then pain and swelling then from the venom because you've just been impaled. Correct. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, for lack of a better word. And Thanks. then if you, if you leave it for long periods of time without treatment, bacteria from infection, because you are in the ocean, this is a foreign object in your body and your body's like, what the heck? Correct. Immediate injuries to human include, but are not limited to, poisoning, puncture, severed arteries, and possibly unalived. Um, So, whatever. But they're very rare to have a fatal sting. On September 4, 2006, as we know, Australian wildlife expert and television personality Steve Irwin was pierced specifically in the chest by a stingray barb while snorkeling in Australia and unfortunately did pass because of this. It's a very I didn't rare. I know it was in his chest, yes. which makes a lot more sense now. Right. He was not sticking his foot in the stingray's mouth. He was swimming around them. And what I, from what I understand, it kind of got spooked and it was a very freak accident thing. Yeah. Um, obvious. It's very sad. Uh, well, in animals, well. you never know what they're going to oh, do. So that's right. just one of those things, right? And that's the thing too. Be aware. These are wild animals. So even if you do go to the touch tanks and things, if you're swimming out in the ocean, this isn't like Fred from the net, from the aquarium. This is like Steve, no pun intended, who is about to barb you. So like, just be, right. <laughs> just be careful. Treatment, however, includes application of near scalding water, which helps ease the pains by denaturing the complex of a venom protein, because the way that you can break a protein down is by heating it up excruciatingly high so it breaks itself apart. That's just science. Um, And then, of course, antibiotics to prevent bacterial infection. Uh, Immediate injection of local anesthetic and around the wound could also be very helpful. And any warm to hot fluid, including urine, um may also prove some relief and i know that they say this about jellyfish stings too i would not recommend that it's i would not just seek help <laughs> for jellyfish stings right so uh, just go go to the hospital <laughs> is what yeah. i would suggest to you urgent care would love to see you 
And they even say in this write-up that urine is also a folk remedy for jellyfish stings and alike. Um, However, you can use vinegar if you get stung by a jellyfish. I've heard uh, this article says it as well, but vinegar may help. Or just seek immediate medical attention would also be a good shout. Yeah. The pain would normally last up to 48 hours, but is most severe, of course, in the first 30 to 60 minutes. Could be accompanied by nausea, fatigue, headaches, fever, chills, etc. Because you got venom in your foot. And then all stingray injuries should be, of course, medically obsessed. I'm obsessed. Um, Assessed. Um, And that's kind of, that's, you know, just go go see the doctor if you happen to get stung. Or just stick your foot in its mouth and it'll be fine. Uh, The final thing. Not literally. (laughs) Don't actually do that. (laughs) That's not real advice. Uh, the final thing I want to talk about before we go into our ad segment is Stingray Love. So, uh, their mating season is actually in the winter, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the males do court the females, but he will closely follow her, biting at her pectoral discs like nom nom nom. And then her flap flaps. Her flap flaps. (laughs) Sounds very creepy when you say it like that. I know. (laughs) Can I (laughs) nibble on your flap flaps? (laughs) I guess we should edit that out, maybe. I don't know. We'll think about it. Too graphic for this pod. (laughs) I'm going to say that to Tyler later. Anyway, (laughs) during mating, the male will go on top of the female, so his belly on her back, and put two of his little claspies into her vents. uh, And most rays are ovoviviparous. (laughs) I'm not going to... Ovoviviparous. Bearing live young in litters of five to ten, which is a lot of babies. Um, the female holds the embryo- embryos in her womb without a placenta, uh, and instead the embryos absorb nutrients from a yolk sac, and after that sac is depleted, the mother will provide uh, uterine milk. Uh, yeah, and apparently stingrays also have milk. So, fun facts <laughs> with Kirsten and Blair. <laughs> anyway. I'm still getting over the two claspers in her vent. <laughs> Get your claspers out of my vent. Stop nibbling on my pectoral disc. <laughs> Gosh, to be a stingray uh, in this age. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And with that, I'm going to send us into a break. Okay, bye. Hey, man. Did you hear Mediocre Content Podcast has more social platforms now? Whoa, no way. What do they need those for? I thought they barely had an email. Not sure, but they gotta be Delulu if they think that many people are trying to find them. Exactly. Well, I guess we should play into their delusion then. Here are the ways you can contact the NCP host, you know, if you really want to. Connect with NCP on Gmail, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you want to listen to podcasts. Or you can find all of their contacts by visiting Linktree slash Mediocre Content Podcast. Now good luck in the second half of the pod. You'll need it. Welcome back. I hope you have um, chilled out from the end of the first section at this point. It was getting way too hot and steamy. (laughs) Stingray love. So now we're going to talk a little bit about um, humans and stingrays together in the world that we live in, as well as some specific stingrays that I decided I would call out. And we'll talk about why I decided to call out a few of them instead of all of them later. 
So obviously, like any other animal that we have on the planet, ocean or terrestrial or otherwise, stingrays play an ecological role in their aquatic food change, and they offer a number of values to humans, of course, um, whether it's uh, food, products, or tourism. Uh, Although edible, they're not usually a dietary staple. They're also not considered a high-quality food. However, I will go back to the skate situation. You may not know it. It's not officially a stingray necessarily, but just so you know, you may be eating skate when you have calamari. Uh, They can be consumed, however, of course, including fresh, dried, or salted, and recipes throughout the world um, will dry their wings um, as forms of food. Singapore and Malaysia specifically are commonly barbecuing stingrays over charcoal. And they're served with what's called spicy sambal sauce uh, and are generally a prized part of uh, the wings uh, or the cheek and the liver will be cooked in general, which really makes me sad. Um, but you have to understand too that the reason they're not highly desirable in general is because they are mostly cartilage and it's kind of a rubbery texture it can be hard to cook with anyway um not all stingrays are created equal of course in their composition which we've already talked about so depending on the type that may also kind of prevent you from wanting to eat them it's not something i would recommend to to be honest um it's I mean, rude. do what you want to do uh, yeah do, do what you want to do I'm not going to be eating them. We're already sticking our feet in their mouth. And it just seems like rude in general. (laughs) So um, the skin of a stingray is rough. And so in some places, this can also be used as a leather, similar to if you were to use, you know, cows, unfortunately. Sure. Yeah. Uh, But it's the same situation. The skin is used as an underlayer for the cord or leather wrap on Japanese swords or katanas. Due to its hard and rough texture, it keeps the braid wrap from sliding on the handle, of course, during use. Native American uh, Indians used to use the spines, bless you. Thank you. uh, Of stingrays for arrowheads, while groups in the Indo-West Pacific used them as war clubs, so weapons. Stingrays are popular targets of ecotourism, though, as well, uh, because they're not normally visible to swimmers in most cases. However divers and snorkelers may be able to find them in shallow sandy waters of course again because they're camouflaging themselves and they're usually very docile um their normal reaction like we said is to kind of run away if they feel like they're under attack or disturbed however uh, certain larger species may be more aggressive and should be approached by caution or with caution um because again they have the barb so be careful In the Cayman Islands specifically, there are several dive sites called Stingray City Grand Cayman, uh, where divers and snorkelers can swim with large southern rays and feed them by hand, which I'm sure is so fun. Wow. There is also a Stingray City in the sea surrounding the Caribbean island of Antigua, and it consists of a large shallow reserve where the rays live and snorkeling is, of course, possible. In Belize, off the island of Ambergris Kai... Okay. Okay. Where there is a popular marine sanctuary called Hole Chan, where divers and snorkelers often gather to watch stingrays and nurse sharks that are drawn to the area by tour operators who then, of course, feed the animals. That's why they're there. I would be there if there was food. Absolutely. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, many Tahitian Island resorts regularly offer guests the chance to feed the stingrays and sharks. So they're probably together. Keep that in mind. <laughs> if you're afraid of sharks, <laughs> be careful. Mm-hmm. This consists of taking a boat to the outer lagoon reefs, then standing in waist-high water while ha- ha- habituated... Why is my mouth doing this thing? Habituated stingrays swarm around, pressing right up against a person seeking food. So they're very used to humans. They get fed by hand there all the time, so they'll probably swim right up to you and use their mouth, <laughs> I guess, uh, on, on your hand or your skin. The videos of some of those is like the lady with the stingray that's like on her back, just like flapping. Oh my <laughs> God. He's very confused about which side <laughs> the food is coming from. <laughs> and it's a very cute video. If you could find it, highly recommend it made me laugh. And while, of course, stingrays are relatively widespread and unlikely to be threatened, there are several species where the conservation status is more problematic, leaving them to be listed as vulnerable or endangered by the IUCN. Uh, The status of several other species are poorly known, leading them to be listed as data deficient. So, and you'll see uh, there are about 70 species of stingrays. So there's no way... and. I feel like we've talked about this before, but the ocean in general is vastly underrated for the number of animals and the number of systems that are down there. We just don't have the knowledge um, as readily available as we do for terrestrial because we can't breathe underwater. Sure. Yeah. Um, So there's probably more in the ones that we even know about. uh, We just don't know a great deal about, especially if they are hovering in that deeper to open ocean range. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't go into all 70 and there isn't even enough information on all 70 to discuss. But what I would like to discuss is my top four. Top four. <laughs> top four. Because like I have to have a top four if I'm this enthused about them. I, I agree. So the first one I'm going to talk about is called the cow nose ray or Rhinoptera bonassis, which is very fun to say. Probably the cutest of all the rays, in my opinion. And that's aside from the ones that fit in your palm, to be fair. I'm sure those are adorable. But they have two round humps as their nose and are usually a sandy tan color. They're so cute. I, they're so cute and they so these ones you can actually find uh in fevers which is again they're just group name like coven but yeah. stingray um i know we talked about coven <laughs> i know we were trying to figure out the witch scenario so yeah they're a coven now coven but um at virginia beach weirdly enough you can find them so you know they have that really fast boat. For context, Blair and I both grew up in Virginia. She closer to the Norfolk side and Virginia Beach side than I did. But we mm-hmm. vacationed there every year. And we would ride the Rudy Rocket at, at Virginia Beach, which is that really big yellow fast boat that people can go on and pay a bunch of money just to get sprayed in the face by seawater. And when yeah. we were doing that, we saw cow nose fevers as we were going so you can find them and that's coastal it's not like open ocean so you can find them um but they are most common in tropical to temperate latitudes in the western atlantic ocean and can of course be seen in shallow coastal waters like we did 
And they are considered an eagle ray, and this is because of their fin shape. They are also active swimmers, rarely found lying motionless on the seafloor, unlike their whiptail stingray companions that like to bury themselves. This one is just constantly swimming. (laughs) Uh, This species is a foraging predator that specializes on shelled uh, invertebrate prey, including clams, snails, lobsters, oysters, and crabs. Once a cow nose detects their prey, they flap their pectoral fins, majestic sea flap flap, while also sucking on sediment, and Jinx is deciding I'm done with that. <laughs> now that he's moving the entire page. Look at scroll up. He's like... <laughs> he's Jinx. Typing. Jinx, I don't know what your bum wants to type, but I'm trying to talk about sea flap flaps right now. <laughs> That's hilarious. As I'm reading, it just keeps going down and I down know. and down. <laughs> if you scroll up, you'll see his paragraph of G's. <laughs> Those are the best G's I've ever seen typed. (laughs) Um, But basically, once they detect their prey, they'll flap their fins, suck up the sediment with their mouths, and out their gill slits to filter out anything that's gross. And eventually, they will draw the prey into their mouth and use their strong jaws and thick crushing tooth plates to break open the shell. Uh, Cow nose do have poisonous stingers, of course. However, since they're super shy and they're genuinely just kind of swimming around on the surface, uh, they pose very minimal risk to humans by stepping on their spine. They're also not burying themselves. They're just sucking up predator uh, predator food. Got it. Yep. They're very cute, though. If you are looking for a gateway stingray, that is the one I would recommend. I agree. (laughs) The southern stingray or... Dasiatis americana are also extremely common in the Atlantic and like the cow nose, they too prefer tropical temperate latitudes in the Western Atlantic Ocean. However, these are different because instead of swimming actively all the time, these are the ones that do prefer to lay low on the ocean floor and they can also get gigantic. This is the one where it's like a freaking monster that can't even fit in a in a normal fishing like commercial fishing net these things get huge awesome a moderately sized whiptail stingray spends most of its time in contact with the sea floor of course burying itself with only its large eyes uncovered its mouth is on the ventral or bottom side of its head and it uses an electric sense of course to locate a variety of invertebrate fresh 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 prey. Fresh. Well, fish Free prey. Shavakadu. Free shavakadu. Its preferred prey includes shrimps, crabs, and other crustaceans and small fish. Um, and uh, I'm sure most of you know this, but like most fish, uh, most of them obtain oxygen through their gill system when they mm-hmm. suck in water. However, this poses an issue for stingrays that bury themselves because their mouth and their gills are on the bottom. And if they're burying themselves, their mouth is now suffocated with sand, which is cute. It is a problem. So you got to have a solution for that. <laughs> um, and the way that they do this is they pump water through specialized openings called spiracles that are located at the top of their head. So out of the sand, of course. Um, they're located just behind the eyes and are easy, easily noticeable um, 
in photographs. So if you do see one from the top down, you can usually identify the the spiracles behind their eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this helps them breathe. So pull in the oxygen from the water and not suffocate in the sand. <laughs> I like that for them. That's Huge. Good. That's a big <laughs> they, deal. Yeah. Um, however, their largest predator is actually hammerhead sharks, and it's just in general, there's the scalloped as well as great hammerheads. Either one will 100% try and eat one of these things. Great. Um, so, you know, which I would argue hammerhead sharks would kind of go for anything. Uh, they're pretty aggressive sharks out of the shark family. So that's true. This does not surprise me. Um, uh, okay, so we're going on maybe to your favorite. Uh, giant <laughs> giant manta rays um, it gives moana it does give moana and that is another reason i love that movie um <laughs> don't you get me carburized striked we're trying to be poor <laughs> okay all right all right mobula barostris the manta ray can be found worldwide however their preferred environment is tropical to warm temperate latitudes in the open ocean because they're huge so yes. if you found i don't think you'd find one just hanging out in the coastal regions because they're just this massive animal and they are very unique because instead of picking up crustaceans on the sea floor they're actually filter feeders and instead will filter the seawater through their mouth and gill system and eat tiny little planktons that are in the ocean so if you if you go to the georgia aquarium there mm-hmm. is a giant, I think there's two giant manta rays in Ugh. a large tank with a um, whale shark. Adorable. And they do the yeah. same thing is the thing. Yeah. They're yeah. filter feeders. Right. Uh, so they're not going to be eating each other anytime soon, which is no. huge also. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I need to go to that aquarium. That's on my to-do list. It's truly the best. Honestly, like if we ever come and visit. Yes. We'll, need to we'll do it because- or if we're visiting like Chris's parents, yeah. we'll do it because yeah. then, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we need not to. us making plans on the pod. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, this happens. This is our pod. We do what we want. That's right. <laughs> uh, they do constantly then swim with their mouths open, which is kind of funny to me. <laughs> they just constantly. Uh. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is just great. <laughs> To aid in this strategy, giant manas also have specialized flaps known as cephalic lobes, which may help direct more water and food into their mouths. And if you see a picture of a manta ray, you will notice these around their mouths. They look like little little baby flaps. Ante- they look like little antennas, honestly. Yes. And it's just helping siphon that water straight into their mouth hole. And that's great. They are the largest ray and one of the largest fishes in the world, though not the largest in total, obviously, because we just talked about, um, you know, the whale shark, for example, which is also very big. Humpback whales are also very big. And the blue whale is massive. Humpback whale! Humpback whale! <laughs> Sorry, I opened that can. <laughs> Sorry. I love um, whales. Maybe I'll do another yeah. one on the whales because and, yeah. whales are my favorite. So you do, and we'll have to do one on sharks at this point, because we've talked enough about them intermittently. We're going back to the ocean, everyone. (laughs) Oh, God. But they do reach widths up to 29 feet or 8.8 meters, and they are much longer or larger than any other ray species out there. And for decades, there was only one known species of manta, 
but there are now two divided species of manta rays, which is so cool. Uh, the giant, of course, which is the one we're currently talking about, which is more uh, an oceanic species. But there's also the reef manta ray, which is more coastal in nature, ironically. Mm. Uh, the giant mantas have one of the lowest fecundity of the um, uh, elasmobranchs, typically only giving birth to one pup every two to three years instead of like the southern ray or the cownos where they have like five to ten yeah they, you know these guys have like one sometimes <laughs> that's like that's a huge yeah. risk to their population too it which is. is a problem it really is um and due to their broad range and sparse distribution across the world's ocean there's of course still gaps in the knowledge of their total life history mm -hmm. um but there are reports of giant mantas living to even 40 years old um wow i know uh, but of course, you know, growth development, there's still a lot of research to do. We don't know a whole lot, uh, but they are super cool. And if you've never seen a photo, highly recommend a little Google search. They are fantastic. Uh, the final one is probably uh, outside of the Manta. I would say this is the other most known one because of Finding Nemo. Um, this is the spotted oh, eagle ray. Yeah. So this is the, the teacher in Finding yes, Nemo. I love exactly. that. So I wanted to make sure to include him because I do think he's one of the most well-known ones because of that. Um, but he is also a favorite. So the Atabatis Nari Nari, which I love to say, mm. um, is similar to the manta ray. Uh, the spotted eagle ray can be found worldwide as well in tropical and warm temperate latitudes. And for this ray, of course, as we talked about, he is the teacher from Finding Nemo. These guys can reach widths of nearly 11 feet or three meters. And it's also another one of the larger rays that there are with mantas being the ones that grow the biggest, of course, like we just talked about. But the spotted eagle rays, like most eagle rays, are active swimmers. So this is similar to the cow nose because they're just constantly going. And unlike that of the southern ones, they are not just lying motionless on the seafloor. They are foraging predators and are also known for eating a variety of invertebrate and fish prey. They do also have that plate-like uh, crushing structure inside of their mouth so they can crush clams, oysters, and alike. And just like the name implies, they are covered in spots and other markings, making them essentially unmistakable for any of the other species. So if you see this one, you pretty much know exactly what it is. The spotted eagle rays do live along the open coast and warm waters throughout the world and are most likely being associated with the coral reefs and sometimes enter protected bays to feed or to mate. And... Fun fact, they can leap out of water um, <laughs> very aggressively, and the cow nose actually do this as well. And if you do look up Majestic Sea Flat Flaps, the video is of cow nose fevers leaping out of the water. <laughs> so I have two things. First yes. thing is you know that the Disney Pixar people did their research <laughs> based on that information that you just provided to us, very which true. I appreciate. Yes. Also, I have been on Virginia Beach and I have seen the cow nose um so stingrays like leaping out of the water and it's so funny because you're like oh my god what was that <laughs> very weird <laughs> you cannot fly in the sky <laughs> you must be in the water <laughs> they try to i escape. can fly twice as high <laughs> they really can <laughs> 
Um, so it's very fun to see. Uh, and like I said at the beginning, if you want to see these rays or other different types of rays, a lot of aquariums do have them. And a lot of them also have them in their touch tanks. And in some cases, if you go to Ripley's or maybe the Georgia Aquarium too, I'm not sure what they offer, but some of them do also offer you to swim and feed them like in the tank. They'll like set you up with the right scuba gear and stuff and you can swim in the tank with them. Keep in mind, these uh, stingrays do have their barbs clipped down. So kind of like your fingernail, they get rid of the barb completely so that when you're swimming with them, they aren't able to just stab you mercilessly in the you're chest. You're not going to die. Yeah. Right. right. Um, yeah. But also keep in mind that they don't, some people, okay. Some people may have a problem with that because you're like, well, that's their self-defense mechanism. You're harming the animal. You're taking away their only defense. I would also like to say that the majority of them are in captivity and do not require a barb because they're not fending off real predators in the ocean or like being concerned yeah. about that. All they right. are in a very controlled environment and, you know, I'm not one to say exactly, but it's okay. <laughs> it's It's okay that they don't have it they don't require it in that environment um but they are super fun to be around they're super relaxing to watch swim and they feel like the most exquisite velvet in the world and i love i love it mm. <laughs> highly recommend that's my spiel they are very soft i will give they them are. That. they are so soft and mostly docile yeah so it's very fun and that's stingrays. So I guess out of this episode, realistically, what we've decided is we need to do whales and sharks, um, <laughs> which is great for topic ideas for next year, which is coming yes. very fast. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Um, any other so, comments on stingray? <laughs> I don't think so. I think you did a great job. Um, I think that, you know, stingrays are a little bit underrated, I feel. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, cause most people are about the big fish. True. And, but they have, you know, stingrays are big fish too, technically, but they mm. just don't look like fish. Th that's fair. Um, and there are 70 types of them that are currently known. So they're also right. very vast and, uh, you've probably inadvertently been nearby one at some point if you were in the water and just didn't know. Yeah. So don't stick your foot in their mouth. Don't stomp on them rudely. Um, and you'll be fine. Exactly. <laughs> Usually they'll know you're coming too. Yes. The other thing. Like they're not yeah. stupid. Well, so. yeah. Because they got like that whole like vibration and, uh, yeah. you know, electrical current situation. Yeah. Right. Smarts. So, anyway, that's going to wrap up this episode. Feel free to send us any, an email with any questions, comments, concerns, or episode topic suggestions at meetnevercontentpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram or TikTok at meetnevercontentpodcast or catch up, catch up with us every other Thursday on Twitch at meetnevercontentpodcast um, at 3 p.m. PST, 6 p.m. EST, or 11 p.m. BST for the Twitch stream. Uh, don't forget to rate us five stars anywhere you listen to podcasts. We all we all know from last week's episode that you <laughs> listen to us on Apple Podcasts, apparently. <laughs> so I'm going to, you know, promote that one now. Um, and we will see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.